0: Hey, this is Noah Fritchie, and I'm the lead pastor of Real Church, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today, and I hope this can inspire you and build your faith. Enjoy the message. This series, counterculture, it's it's in the book of Daniel, and we're going to talk about how to live a godly life in a culture that is very ungodly. It's nothing new to us, but it, and many of you you've seen it for years and years and years that. We feel like our culture is just constantly sliding away. Like, if, there, if, if we did bad things 20 years ago, they're 10 times worse now. And, and, there's, and we just, all the time, we feel like our culture is just constantly sliding and, and we don't know what to do. And in fact, that's why we picked the book of Daniel to study because Daniel is all about that. Daniel is all about the culture that was sliding away. In fact, to give you a little bit of background before we really just dive into this series, I'm glad you're here this week because this is a really instrumental week for the rest of the series. I want to give you a big background on on the book of Daniel before we even get started teaching on it. The book of Daniel, uh, you, you probably already know this. If you don't know this, I might blow your mind right now, but the Bible is not in chronological order. It's not in order as the event happened. It, it, it's very close, but it's it's not in that order. In fact, the Bible is separated by category. You're taking notes that some of the different categories are uh, there's a historical section of the Bible. There is a poetic section of the Bible. Many of us are familiar with the poetic section of uh, the Psalms and Proverbs that probably speaks to some of you right now. Uh, and then there's the prophet sections, and there's actually two different prophet sections. There's the The major prophets and then there's the minor prophets. And, uh, it wasn't that some of these prophets were any better than each other. It's just the major prophets wrote more and the minor prophets wrote less. And so if you wrote more, you were called a major prophet. And if you, if you didn't write as much, uh, you were a, you were a minor prophet. And so the Daniel is the book of Daniel. Daniel is the author of the book of Daniel and it is considered a major prophet. It's considered a major prophet, and, uh, and and so that's why it's in the section that it's in in your Bible. Um, and there's really two sections of Daniel. In fact, I believe that Daniel could probably actually be classified as a historical section because the first six chapters of the book of Daniel are all historical. They're all about what has happened, and then the last six chapters, they're all prophetic chapters. So Daniel has half and half. Half is historical and half is uh, it, it, and half is uh, prophetic and uh, what we're going to do is over the next couple of weeks we're going to look at a lot, of, a lot of the historical side but then towards the end I'm going to bring you a message I'm really excited about and I've already been preparing for I'm going to kind of squeeze in the last uh, the last six books of the the prophetic books of Daniel together and we're going to talk about the end times together and, uh, it's going to be a very interesting Sunday. And I'm just gonna give you an idea of what I believe. I'm gonna lay everything out there for you, what the Bible says about the end times. And I'm just gonna kinda leave it up to your judgment on, uh, for you to form an opinion. Because nobody really knows. A lot of people have an opinion about the end times. So I just wanted to let you know, week six of this series is going to be a really interesting week. Um, because a lot of the things in the book of Daniel, um, in fact, it's the most, the book of Daniel is one of the most quoted books in the book of Revelation which talks about the end times. The, the John who wrote Revelation, he's constantly referring back to these visions that Daniel saw. Him and, him and Daniel saw the same visions of the end times. And so, like I said, this week we're not talking about the prophetic part. We're going to start talking about the historical part. And I hope I haven't bored you yet. Uh, I promise it gets much better than that. But I just wanted to give you a little bit of a background there. Just a little bit deeper of a background. There's 4,000, I don't know if you know this or not, But there's four thousand years historians believe between uh, between Adam and Jesus. So before the Adam and Eve and Jesus, and so uh, before Jesus comes on the scene, there's this whole Old Testament, and uh, the last four hundred years of the Old Testament are the silent years. They're called uh, they're literally called the silent years, where Jesus did not. Or, or, where there was nothing happening, and just before the silent years, I want you to know that the book of Daniel is one of the last books before the silent years. In fact, pre- if your Bible was in chronological order, it would probably be one of the last books in the Old Testament. In fact, Daniel happened in 600 B.C., and, uh, and and then there was there would be something like Nehemiah after that, and then it would be the silent years, and then Jesus would come. So it's Daniel, Nehemiah, and a couple other books, and then jesus the silent years and then jesus and so that's where daniel kind of sets here and it's in a part of israel's history where this king from uh from Bab- uh, from babylon uh his name maybe it rings a bell if you've been in sunday school before you probably heard of king nebuchadnezzar how many of you have heard of king nebuchadnezzar right and we know about the fiery the shadrach meshach and go and the fiery furnace uh we all know we're talking about that next week but this week it, it has to do with king nebuchadnezzar from babylon if you don't know this it's uh, Babylon is near modern-day Iraq today. And uh, he, he essentially, he came in and he defeated Israel. Um, and essentially, God allowed King Nebuchadnezzar to come in and defeat Israel because the Israelites, God's people, were disobeying him so much. And God said, you know what? If you obey me, you're going to be blessed. If you obey me, you're going to be blessed. But if, if not... You're going to be hurt, and I'm going to take my hand off of you. And what happened was that God essentially took His hand off of that nation and allowed them to be brought into captivity with King Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, it's it's one of the great exiles in the Bible, and so these people they were made into slaves. And Daniel is one of the slaves that comes out of comes comes out of this nation. And the interesting part of this is that when we study Daniel. There is constant confrontation between Daniel and the Babylonian culture. The Babylonian culture was very secular. And so there's confrontation between Daniel and the Babylonian culture. And Daniel and these guys, they're just godly guys. And they're just trying to obey. But the law of the land, the law of the Babylonian culture, is making them and is forcing them to do different. It wants them to do something different. And I picked this because I really do believe that we live in something similar. We live in a world that we know the right thing to do. And many of us, we want to do the right thing, but culture is constantly pushing us to do something different. And it's always hard to battle culture. And so because of that, I really do believe, because we live in something similar, we have a lot to learn from the book of Daniel. All right? So if you're with me, uh, we're in Daniel chapter one and we're literally going to start at verse one. Um, just, so just hang in there with us and then I'm gonna, I'm gonna read this and then we're gonna explain this a little bit. Here's Daniel chapter one, verse one. It says, In the third year of the region of Jehoiakim, king, or in the third year of the reign of King Jehoiakim of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim king of Judah into his hand along with some of the articles of the temple of God. And so the temple was essentially the church of the day. So I want you to understand this that when this king would come in and take the furniture out of the temple, it would be like him taking the holy furniture out of a out of a big church and it was just basically a big slam to him. It was one it was a, it was a disgraceful thing for this king to do. And so that's what he does here and then it goes on to say these he carried off to the temple of his God, Babylonian, put in the treasure house of his God. So he, take this, he took this furniture, and then it says, Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court uh, officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men, without any physical defect, probably about like me, right? Uh, just, kid- just kidding. Handsome showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. goes on to say that he was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. And since these are Israelites coming out of their nation, they have to learn the language and literature of the Babylonians. And so the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. And that might sound well and good to us that, you know, I would like to have some of that food and wine. If they're giving out food and wine, I'm there, all right? And uh, so that might sound good to us, but what was really happening here is that this caused a problem with Daniel and, and, the, and the people around him because under Jewish law, he was not permitted to eat many of the things that the king would give on the table. And so and we'll explain that a little bit later. You'll understand it a little bit later. But the verse goes on to say, They were to be trained for three years, and after they were to enter the king's service. Among these were some from Judah. We see Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And so there's these four guys, and they're to be trained for three years to go into the king's service. And these are the four guys that we're studying today. And these are the four guys that are really confronted with culture asking them to do the wrong thing. They know what the right thing is to do and they, don't want, they, they want to do the right thing and they don't want to do the wrong thing. And so the question today, the big question is this. What do you do when culture shifts? What do you do? What is our responsibility? What do we do when culture shifts? Or let me ask you this question. When culture shifts, will you? When culture shifts will you? I'm going to tell you something, and I hope you understand it, and, and, and I think it's, it's very important for you to understand this, is that culture changes, God doesn't. Culture changes, God doesn't. And culture will change. And the question is, will we change, and will we ask God to change with it, or will we stand firm in what we believe? And I believe that there's so many, that's going on in and all around the world, that people are soft on their beliefs. And even in churches nowadays, uh, they're they're looking at the Bible and they're saying, you know what, I don't think that God really meant that. Or or we need to modify that. Or I only trust what's said here. I only believe in, in this verse and that verse or the other. I'm telling you, something has to change. And you don't want God changing to you. You need to change to God. That's our culture. That's what we need to do. We need to set that culture. And many of you, you're old enough to see culture shifts happen in your life. I know if you talk to any older person uh, that that watches TV, they'll probably say something like, well, I remember when it was bad to say this on TV, when they wouldn't allow this on TV. And and I heard a story, uh, someone told me about uh, about uh, on TV that couples used to sleep in separate beds on TV right and now we now we've got way more than that we've got but we've got husband and wife boyfriend and girlfriend and uh, and and all kinds of different things i mean it's just it's crazy what we allow in our in our culture and even like on our TV and i'm telling you that the enemy is shifting our culture to something ungodly and we have to ask ourselves what do we do what do we do when culture shifts what in the world can we do? I remember I was a youth pastor for a little while, and I remember talking to one of my kids, and uh, I remember God was working on him and, and, uh, and just working him through some things, and he came up to me. I, I remember it was after a youth service, and, uh, and he came up to me and he said that he, he, he found things in his life that he knows that he probably shouldn't be doing. And he found things in his life that he, he wanted to be a person of influence and he found things in his life that he probably shouldn't have been doing. And, and I remember telling him that if you want to live like no one else, you have to live like no one else. That's what you have to do. And so, and, and so we, talked, we talked a little bit about it and his big problem was video games. He felt like he just could not... He could not play video games. He felt convicted about playing video games. And as silly as that may sound, I just asked him the question. I said, what does it do to you when you play video games? What does it do to you when you're just, in his video games, of course, the guy, you know, he was going around shooting people for fun and whatnot, right? And so that's just what you do, right? And so I'm like, what does it do to just kill people all day for fun? What does that do to you? And he answered me this, and I'll never forget it. He said, well, it just doesn't bother me. And I thought, well, maybe that's your problem. Maybe the problem is, is that it just doesn't bother you. And for so many of us, we're so used to a culture that that gives us everything that we want and we can see and access and do whatever we want at any time. And for so many of us, it doesn't bother us anymore. And I can see that that might be the problem. And so many of us, we, we think that, you know what, I can see that. I can do that. I can... I can eat that, I can go there, it doesn't bother me. And if you say that to me, really, what I believe is you're just making my point. There's a problem that it doesn't bother you. It should bother you. And so, what I'm not going to do today, is I'm not going, and and in this series, I'm not just going to sit up here and tell you what's right and what's wrong. Because I don't believe that that is my job. I don't believe that's what I need to do. You don't need me to tell you what's right and what's wrong. What I can do is I can give you access to someone who's greater than me. I can give you access to the Holy Spirit. I am not even. I, I don't even like saying I can give you access. You have access to the Holy Spirit. You can tap into God's Word and I can tell you that you don't need me to tell you what's right and what's wrong. You, if you will just open your life to the Holy Spirit... And If you will just let God come into your life and let God convict you, you will be led to godliness. In fact, I like to think that this church is just not is not all about all the don'ts, 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 don'ts or the or we don't. It, a lot of churches are we we hate this and we hate that and we yada yada yada. And I, you will not hear me say things like that because what I wanted to do is I want you to hear me draw everyone in from every belief. Because here's what I I, I don't want to narrow the people. That I can preach to. Because as soon as I start naming all these don'ts, you zone out. You're out. But I can show you someone who will convict you and who will lead you on the right path. And so, what do we do when culture shifts? What do we do when culture shifts? I like to think that as a child, I grew up in a pretty pure culture. Uh, I mean, I had, I think I had a pretty great family who. Helped me on the right path, right? I remember just, uh, on Sundays, uh, we, we weren't like a lot of different families. Like, if there was, if we, we, if there were sports on Sundays or if there was something going on on Sundays, typically we just didn't do it. Um, we, we, we weren't, we didn't do all those activities a lot of the times, especially when I got older. Uh, Sundays was just our family day, right? It was just a time for us to be together. And, uh, it, and I thought my family was kind of strict on that. And then I met my girlfriend, Emily who uh she grew up not watching spongebob and i was like what i love spongebob like i didn't know it was a sin to watch spongebob and then uh and then i heard this story you'll you'll love this i heard this story about these people who they did not believe in dancing right they didn't believe in shaking their booty to the world's music, right? That's not, that's not what they wanted to do. In fact, these people, they, 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 they so believed in this that they, they, they didn't believe in premarital sex because they thought it led to dancing. And so, it's a joke. It's a joke, guys. Get it. It'll take you guys just a second to get there. It's all right. You'll get it on the way home. It's some of you. But whatever strict household that you may have grown up in, I, I, I've heard stories of all, of all different types of things like that. But I, I do like to think that I, I grew up in a pretty pure culture and, and, uh, you don't have to look far to see culture shifting. And, uh, the question is, are we gonna continue to modify ourselves? Are, to, to fit into culture? or Are we gonna start doing something different? And I really do believe as Christians, we need to start rising up and doing something different. And that it is our job to set the culture. And that's what we're talking about today. In fact, today we're going to talk about three things culture will do if you will let it. If you let culture shift your life, I'm going to give you three points that I really do believe that culture will do. And then, at the end, we're going to talk about the solutions that you should do. And so we're going to continue reading the book of Daniel. And uh, I'm going to point out some things in here. And so we're here at Daniel 1, verse 7. It says this, The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar. uh, To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. And so they gave them new names. Can I tell you that the first thing the devil wants to do in your life is he wants to rename you. He wants to give you a new name. The first goal, I believe, of culture is that culture will try to rename you. It wants to rename you it wants to change your identity it it wants to change your identity from who God made you to be to what the world wants you to be and can I tell you that it is a direct assault on your God-given destiny God has a plan and a purpose for you and when culture tries to rename you it's a direct assault on you and that's why I encourage people so uh, so much to get involved in a local church can I tell you, you don't have to be involved in this church. It's all right. Find a good local community church where you can be involved in. And that's why I preach so much about small groups. I know you hear me all the time about a small group, getting a small group, in a small group. But I really do believe that small groups helps with this, that it helps you address the lies of the enemy. It, it helps you address the labels that the devil puts on you. And it helps you to accept what God has for you. And can I tell you that the devil put a label on me when I was young. I wouldn't be here today if I would have listened to the devil's label on me. If, you, if anybody knew me as a kid, and many of you probably already do, you know that I was a shy, insecure kid. That's just who I was. In fact, if uh, I remember stories with Grandma at church that I would not talk to anybody. It was a struggle for, for me to, for me to speak a word. And it's amazing how God would mold this shy, insecure, intimidated kid into where I am today. And now I get to speak to people every weekend. And it's a great thing, but I'm telling you that, that the devil had a label on me. The devil had a label that I was shy. That I was I, that I was so insecure about myself, I felt like I wouldn't be able to do anything. I was intimidated by everybody else. That's the label the devil had for me, but God had something so much greater. He had something so much greater, and that's why maybe some of you still at church today, I can speak, I, I think I like to, I, I can speak all right up here, but sometimes I can't carry a conversation with you. I apologize. I'm still working on it. And so that, that's where I am today. But I can tell you that God has a redemptive name to put on you. He has a redemptive name for you. And what I want you to do, what I want to do is I want to show you these four Hebrew names and their meanings. And then I want to show you what they, they got named to, their Babylonian names and their meanings. And I hope this, if you're, if you like taking notes, this is a great weekend for you. I hope this really speaks to you. Daniel, that was his Hebrew name. It means God is my judge. So, Daniel, God is my judge. They renamed him Belteshazzar, which means lady protect the King I want to say something that's kind of risky to say and that I've been really convicted about over the past couple days but I just want to point out just right on top of here is that one of the attacks on, of the enemy is gender confusion that's what it is gender confusion people it, I believe that's a great attack from the enemy but not only is that here with Daniel and Belteshazzar? what they're really trying to do here is they're trying to shift the focus from God to man. Can I tell you in culture, culture is constantly trying to shift the focus from God to man. You don't need to trust God. You need to trust somebody else. You need to trust somebody that you can, that you can see, that you can touch, that you can feel. And that's what culture tries to do. Don't listen to the world's labels. Listen to God here's the next one Hananiah. his name meant Yahweh has been gracious his name was changed to Shadrach and his name means I am fearful of God what are they doing here they're trying to shift the focus that God is good God is bad can I tell you that culture is constantly trying to do that in fact the world will tell you that God is boring that Christians are weird, that they're just a bunch of freaks. I mean, and they all they look at is all the don't, 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 don'ts. That's, that's all they look at. And can I tell you that it is a lie? Can I tell you that every rule, so to say, that God has in the Bible is for your benefit? He gives you a way to live so that you can live your best life. He doesn't want to hold you down with chains and with all these rules that people think. no, no, no. no. He gives them to help you live your best life. God is not bad. My God is a great and awesome Father. He's a loving Father, and it's great to serve Him. And that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to shift the focus from God is good to God is bad. And then there's Mishael, which means who is what God is. His new name, Meshach, which means I am despised, contemptible, and humiliated. What are they doing here? Their focus, they're trying to shift the focus from confidence to cowardice. They're trying to get you to be a coward. And I'm telling you, this is a huge problem in the spiritual community of the church today. We all feel like we have to be cowards, that we can't stand up for our beliefs. And I confront that spirit today in the name of Jesus. We need to start standing up for our beliefs. You Christians... They, they, the people say, "Well, you Christians, you need to hush. You need to take your business elsewhere. You need to stop telling us what to do." In fact, I love it, it, the, the government is just all screwed up, everybody. But they, <laughs> but they, but they say, "Well, there's a separation of church and state." Well, I'm here to tell you that I'm a part of we the people too. right? that's who we are. We're a part of that. And the goal, and, and can I tell you that the goal of separation of church and state is not to keep the is is not to keep the government. Uh, it's not for us to keep out of the government. It's for the government to keep out of us. And so we're it's to, it's to stop the government from interfering with us. And so many people, they especially in politics, they want they want us to be silent. They want Christians to be quiet. And I'm not telling you to go out and get in people's face, right? I'm not going out. and Don't be punching anybody or kicking them down or whatever you whatever crazy thing you might do. I'm not telling you to do that. But what I am telling you is, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid if you're in a public space to pray about something. Uh, man, I I tell you what. I, I there's been so many times, and I wish. I, and and every time that I do it, I just feel like, man, if I'm talking to somebody, that man maybe I should just pray for them. You ever just feel the urge just to pray for somebody? Maybe it's just a stranger you have no idea. And, it, it, and I feel the urge. I feel the urge more often than not. And for some reason, I'm just afraid to do it. And what is that? It's culture shifting you. It's culture shifting you from one way to another. I'm telling you, I don't want to be a coward because that's the enemy's label for you. Don't be a coward. We need to have confidence in who Christ is. Here's the last one Azariah. Here's what his name means Yahweh has helped. His name was changed to Abednego, which means servant of Nebo. What is the focus shifting from here? The focus is from son to slave. Man, for so many of you, you're living a slave life. You are bound by something or someone else that is holding you captive. And that's exactly what culture wants. Culture wants to hold you down. Culture wants to bind you up so that you can't get anywhere but you need to understand that you are not a slave to anyone but you're a child of god so i love when we sing that song that we're not a slave to anyone but we're a child of god in fact i want to put it like this is that when culture shifts you better know who you are when culture shifts you need to know who you are you need to be secure and your identity with Christ. And that's why I'm urging you to get in a small group. That's why it's important to get into a small group, to get honest with someone and let them speak truth in you and help them find out who you really are. That's so important. You have to know who you are. The verses go on to say this, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. What did he do? He asked permission. He didn't say, I'm not doing it. He said, he, he asked permission not to do it. I want you to notice the attitude here. Is that he's not demanding. He's asking permission. Here's what I'm here to tell you. Is that culture will try to tame you. Culture will try to tame you. And it is trying to get us to do things that we know is wrong, and so many of us we say things like, "I guess I'll do it because everyone else is." I guess I should do it. I just don't want to cause any problems with anybody, so I'm just I'm just going to go ahead and I I'll I'll just do it. it. It'll be all right. Can I tell you? You don't need me in your life to tell you what's wrong because you have the Holy Spirit. for you to understand what is right in your life. And the list may be different for each and every one of us. Can I tell you that I have a strong conviction about reaching people and making a comfortable space for people who don't know Christ. That's my conviction, and I hope that you can see that in this church. In fact, this church before we started, we read through the book of Acts, and we learned how how, really what, what the original church was like And that's what the 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 original church in Acts they talk about how they met together corporately where basically everyone was uncomfortable, where was everyone was comfortable and people even gathered in the thousands corporately and then they went off and they did something called this house to house ministry. And that's why we push small groups so much, that's why we push family so much, because I believe that we're called to be a family, not just a country club. The church is not just to be here for you to come in and sit and pay your dues and go home and get, get get maybe something out of it. No, we're called to be a family. And I'm telling you, every time that culture shifts, it'll try to bring that conviction with you. Culture has shifted and it's tried to take my conviction off of, off of the family church and more of a show church, right? That's That's what it's tried to do for me. But I've had to stand firm in my own personal convictions. My conviction is that we need to be a church for a family, not just a country club. And so every time culture shifts, it'll try to bring your convictions with it. In fact, I'll say it like this. When culture shifts, don't lose your convictions. When culture shifts, don't lose the stuff that is important to you. You need to listen to the Holy Spirit and follow God. This goes on to say, Daniel 1.11, it says, Now God has caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I'm afraid that the Lord my king who has assigned your food and drink, why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel's trying to convince him, you know what, I don't, I don't need to eat the king's food. I don't need to eat the king's food. Will you please let me not, not eat the king's food? And the official is worried. worried. That he's going to be responsible because after that, it, it, he's, the, the, Daniel is not going to look as good as the other king's men. And then it goes on to say, but Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Ananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, he said, please test your servant for ten days. I want you to notice the number ten here. If you know anything about the Bible Numbers in the Bible mean a whole lot. And in fact, the number 10, 10 always relates to testing. Just like Daniel wants to test for 10 days, there's the 10 commandments. The 10 commandments that test your faith. There's the tithe, 10%, that test your faith as well. The disciples in the upper room, when they waited for Jesus, they waited for 10 days. 10 is always a test. And you need to understand that in the Bible. It goes on to say, Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. If you've ever done the Daniel fast, this is where it comes from. Vegetables and water. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food. And so, and, and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to, t- to this and tested them for ten days. Can I tell you that there will always be a test? Wherever you are, there is always a test. And after that test and most and during that test, there will be some type of moment of pressure. I don't know about you, but all the time, I feel the Holy Spirit telling me to do the right and wrong things. And sometimes I listen and sometimes I don't. But sometimes the test will go even farther and there will be a moment when culture will get in your face and you will have to stand up and say, you know what? I've got to draw the line here. I can't do it. Anymore, I've got to draw the line somewhere. You will be tested. Why will you be tested? Because of this. Because culture will try to claim you. Culture is constantly trying to claim you. In fact, there is a battle for you constantly. And I can tell you that young people, there is a battle for you more than ever. And the world is pulling one way. And God is pulling the other way. And and you get the chance to cast the deciding vote. You get the chance to choose the life that you want. And there will be a moment, I can tell you that there will be a moment where your faith will be tested. And for so many of us, and I I know just mine, my faith was tested in high school, man. Every day in high school, I felt like my faith was tested. And everything that, I, I don't know if you know this, but it just feels like when you're in high school, everything that culture has to offer is just at your fingertips. When you get into high school, you have access to so many more things and you have the choice where your faith will be tested, whether you can do it or whether you will do it or not. In fact, I'll say it like this, when culture shifts, never give in to the pressure. Don't give in to the pressure. No matter how hard it is, no matter what they might say. Well, your mom won't find out if you drink this or if you eat this or if you try this or if you take this or if you click it. Nobody will ever know if you click on that and look at this. And, and what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to draw a line in the sand and say, okay, no, sorry, but no, I can't do it anymore. Just like Daniel did. Don't be throwing a fit. Don't kick people down or whatever. That's not what Daniel did. Daniel politely asked, and he he said, you know what, thank you, but no. And for so many of us, that's what we need to do. In fact, I really do believe that if you want to be a difference maker, you never give in to the pressure. If you want to live like no one else, you've got to live like no one else. And so the verse goes on to say this. At the end of the ten days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. Isn't it amazing that they didn't even eat the royal food and they looked better than anybody else? Can I tell you this, that you think God's way isn't better, but it is. Sometimes God's way does not look better. It looks a lot more challenging. It looks a lot more harder. It doesn't look any good for us, but it is. And you won't know it until you try it. You won't know whether it's better until you try it. So why don't you just give it a try? It goes on to say, So the guard took away their choice food and their wine, and and the wine they were to drink, and gave them vegetables instead. How many of you think the rest of the people were probably aggravated at Daniel? Right? I loved my meat and wine, but now you're giving me vegetables? Ah! And so (laughs) these guys are probably aggravated, but the story goes on and it says, To these four young men God gave knowledge, understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. In fact, God supernaturally blesses Daniel. And if you're not, uh, we're not going to study chapter two of Daniel, but if you would like to read it this week, chapter two of Daniel is when Daniel interprets Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And basically, Nebuchadnezzar goes to him and says, Wow, your God must be the real God. And the verse goes on to say this at the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them and he found none equal. Isn't that amazing? He found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, so they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them all, say it with me, ten times better Isn't that amazing? He found them ten times better than all the other magicians and the the enchanters and the entire kingdom. He found them ten times better. Sometimes God's way is challenging. Sometimes God's way does not look appetizing. I would rather have the meat and wine as well than the vegetables. But sometimes we just need to trust that God knows better. He knows what we need. And He knows exactly when we need it. And whenever, and at the end of the day, it's amazing to look back that because we trusted in God, we are ten times better than anyone else. We're ten times better because we chose the right thing. And I'm here to declare this morning that our God is ten times better. He's ten times better than anything else that the world could offer you. He's ten times times better in fact this morning as we just finish up here i want to give you two things two questions to help you ponder with at home here's the first one will i change the world or will the world change me i want you to honestly ask that question to yourself will i change the world or will the world change me you need to decide that when culture shifts will i When culture shifts, am I going to shift? Or will I set the culture or will I reflect the culture? And I'm not asking you again. I'm not asking you to get in people's faces. But we don't have to look like everyone else. We don't have to look like everyone else. I believe that our job as a church is to set the culture. And I hope we can do that. I believe that it is our job to set the culture for this community. And I hope that we're doing something like that. In fact, we're not a thermometer we're a thermostat, right? That's what your life is supposed to be. You're supposed to set it. You're supposed to set the culture. And here's the last question today as we just wrap it up. Will my identity come from God or will it come from the world? Where is your identity coming from? When people look at you, do they see God or do they see the world? Who are you trusting in for your identity? Are you trusting your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your husband or your wife or, or whatever it may be? Or are you trusting in who God says you are? Because so many of us, we we don't even care about who we think we are. So many of us, we just care about so-and-so. Who they think we are. And so this morning as we talk about culture, I would invite you to close your eyes and bow your heads. I just want to pray for us today that we would be the church and we would be the people who would set the culture around us. That we would influence our community, that we would influence our families, and we would influence everybody around us. Let me pray for you. Father, today in the name of Jesus, I'm asking that you would help us set the culture. Help us see the right thing and be able to do the right thing. Even when it might be unpopular, Lord, help us to, to do the right thing even though maybe the meat and wine look a lot better lord help us to pick the vegetables lord we know what your word says and we know that we're called to be setting the culture help us to do that as a church today this morning so many of you maybe you're in here and you haven't accepted jesus into your life can i tell you that jesus came to this world and died on a cross for your sins? and he didn't say dead but Three days later, He resurrected. And He paid the punishment for your sin. You can give all your sin up. You can, you can give all your regrets up right now. In fact, if you would like to accept Jesus into your life, it's nothing weird. All you have to do is say a simple prayer, and you just say it after us. In fact, if you would like to do that this morning, on the count of three, I'd just love to see your hand, just so I know who I'm praying for. Are you ready? One, two, three. Would you lift your hands? Thank you. Thank you thank you you can put your hands down church because we believe in this prayer let's all pray it together say this dear God thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on a cross for me but I believe that you raised him from the dead Jesus I make you my Lord I give you my life thank you for giving me the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.